Welcome to the Go All In Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bruss, and I'm proud to be bringing you these stories of commitment and success from everyday heroes. Today on the show, our guest is Doug Booker from Booker Training. Now, if you're a first-time listener to the Go All In Podcast, welcome. It's great to have you here, and if you're back for more, welcome back. I appreciate your loyalty and you coming back. Thank you. Before we get into the show today, make sure you hit that subscribe button on the app that you're listening in on right now. That way you'll never miss an episode and you'll always have some go all in motivation right at your fingertips and right in your ears. As many of the longtime listeners of the Go All In podcast would know, one of my favorite topics to explore and discuss is leadership. I believe it's one of those human experiences that touches us all. Think about it. How many times have you had your partner come home from work and say, oh my God, you wouldn't believe what happened at work today? I think I might have said that a couple of dozen times in my life, like everybody has. Leadership in the workplace is something that challenges us all as human beings. Whether you're a leader yourself or as a subordinate, the challenges are still the same. It's still a leadership challenge. As you'll hear today, Doug has more leadership training and experience than most. In in the early part of his career, Doug spent 16 years in the U.S. Army as an infantry officer. And as you might expect, leadership in the military is easy, right? You just give orders and people follow. Uh Uh-uh. Well, it's just not true. That's completely wrong, actually. More often than not, the boss will give some orders and then ask for feedback and adjust the plan based around the experience of his team. And to do that, you need relationships. Now, It seems weird that in the infantry, you need relationships, but it's true. Sure, there are times that you need to give orders and follow orders without question, but the military is like any other organization where you need to have good relationships in place in order to get the job done. Doug says that often organizations don't have communication or leadership problems. They actually have relationship problems. So it's by that very virtue, if you're good at building relationships and maintaining them, that will pass across and help you to become a better and a stronger leader. Doug drops all sorts of really cool value bombs throughout this show. So listen in carefully, take some notes, and you're about to get an insight into leadership like never before. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Doug Booker. Well, good day, Doug. Welcome to the Go All In podcast. It's great to have you here, mate. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited about this. I'm looking forward to this and learning more about you, as I told you earlier. Excellent. Well, as the regular listeners of the show would already know, one of my favorite topics to talk about is leadership, and the other one is learning about how we learn. But before we get into all of that and your skill set and your view on the go all in mindset and your view of the world, let's get to know you a little bit. Tell us about where, where are you from, Doug? Well, I'm up from a little town called Lexington, Missouri, near outside of Kansas City in the heart of the United States, little town of 5,000 people. And I've actually, I took off in life and I've come full circle and I'm back near there now, but that's where I'm from. The, the little leave it to beaver existence. <laughs> the apple didn't <laughs> fall far from the tree in the end, right? Right, exactly. Very I'm, good, very good. I'm, I am back home where I loved where I grew up and I'm still passionate about the community there and it's struggling and such, but life is good. Life is good. That's interesting. Do do you still see the people that you grew up with in and around the local area? Are they still around there or is it not quite where you are? 
Absolutely. No, I'm very nearby. And I still see, you know, there's still a, a good handful, five or ten that I see kind of routinely off and on at restaurants and such around. But, you know, again, like most of us, people scatter and such. So I see them at class reunions that we still do every decade or so and that kind of thing. So Sorry. I always look forward to that. Well, one of the things that I notice about going where my sons live they don't, they don't live with me. They live with my ex-wife. But when I drive over to go and visit them, sometimes I go kind of a little detour, a long way around, and I go past where I grew up. And if you've ever had this experience, and I think most people have, if you go back to the place where you grew up, maybe that house that you lived in or that apartment that you lived in, everything seems so damn small. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. Life changes our perspective for sure. And and that's a good thing, you know. It's interesting that you said that because, you know, one of the things that I'm really thankful for is, and I'll tell you more about this later, but the Army and the ROTC and, and military leadership and all that took me away by my decision. But thank God it did because otherwise I would have stayed right there in that little town because <laughs> I love mom and dad. We were always very tight. We still were to their end days, and so I would have stayed right there. So, And I wouldn't have the perspective, right? I mean, if you stayed there, that's all you know. Mm. So I think it's good for people to get out and about. It's really, really, really interesting. Here I am talking to somebody in the United States that had the identical experience to me. Same thing. I grew up in Sydney, Australia, had it from a beautiful, loving family, and by choice, I joined the military and it showed me this incredible perspective of the Absolutely. world. So, Absolutely. Yeah, look, looking forward to drawing some of those parallels throughout this podcast. It's going to be a little bit of fun. You mentioned the Army there. Tell us a little, give us a bit of background on that and the other things that you've been doing. The short story to that is just that I grew up in the little town where I grew up. There was a military academy and junior college that had been there for 100 years. And it was an ideal deal that I went there for junior college. That's where I got into what they call ROTC and the officer core track and got hooked into that and went to three more years of college to get my undergrad. And then I was in the Army infantry. I was an infantry officer for another 14 years after that before they were downsizing, my kids were kind of at the junior high point. It was perfect time to get out. So, And they were offered a good buyout deal, so I took the money and ran. I was a major in the Army at that time. And, again, the short story is just that within a few years, I was into doing what I'm doing today. And I'll tell you more about that as we go along. What degree did you get when you were at college? Oh, great question. So my whole goal in life was to be a coach of anything. and teacher of drafting because I was always a drawer and there was a teacher there that everybody loved and, and he's just gone into the hall of fame in the town and such. And, but he just really inspired me in the drafting area. And so, and I was always into sports and that kind of thing. So all I wanted to do is coach and, and teach drafting. And honestly, thank goodness I never went that route and ended up in the school system because I would have ended up with kids. And I look back now, it's like, Man, I don't know if I could do kids. I love coaching adults, but kid thing, I don't know. I love my kids, love my grandkids, but that's just, man, that's a, that's a scary proposition. <laughs> so, so what was the degree in the end? It wasn't a teaching degree, was it? 
Yeah, it had, it's what they call physical education. Right. Yeah, I had to get two majors to teach to do those two things. So physical education is what it was called to teach that kind of stuff in, in school. And then industrial arts was funny thing is I had to take all these different courses that teach how to do woodworking, metalworking, all these kind of electricity, all these things just to be able to, to be certified to teach drafting. Gosh. And to this day, I cannot do any of that stuff. It's like I am so inept around the house. <laughs> so it didn't stick at all. <laughs> well, it's really interesting. You know, a lot of people go out and get a, a university, a college degree, and, and they go and use it. They dive in, and that's the profession of choice for the next 20 years of their life. And likewise, other people get a degree, and they never used it. Was that you? Yeah. Well, in a sense, but at the same time, the early on, because it was this junior college military academy and I was in this ROTC program, at the same time, every step of the way, those five years of college, I was doing this military science, what they called. So I was, I was on that path. In a sense, that's correct what you said, but at the same time, it's like, what I, what I was also studying was that, which I did for another 14 years. And, and to some degree, it's what I've come around to doing now where I coach leaders and that kind of thing. So the teaching and all that was, like you said early on, it's like, that's my, me too. Leadership and learning, those are my two babies for sure. So that's the next question that I've got is that sometimes when people have a profession that they're in now, they can remember where it all started for him was the was the leadership side of it. Is that where it started for you in college with the ROTC or was it soon after you got into the military? It's a lot of my story of why I'm here today doing what I do. You know, from early on in the in the ROTC military training time, there was always a target of leadership competencies, dimensions and things you should be. And so that was in the military, every step of the way, your commander is trying to grow you to be a better leader, and you're always seeking to grow. And it's just the way the military kind of works in that sense. And honestly, it's just like that was just what I kind of learned as a way of life. You know, and the military kind of put that in me. At the end of my career, near the end of the 14 years, I was at a university called Kansas State University where I was now the teacher of ROTC to students doing what I had done back there. And it was wonderful because it was like that was a dream job. I would have stayed in that job the rest of my life because I was a marathon runner. I could kick their butts and all that stuff. But it was all about coaching and teaching and mentoring and, and the study of leadership. And so somewhere in the midst of all that, I just really became hooked into, for sure, leadership, but also just learning and and unpacking learning for people because so many people go through learning experiences that really were not very good. Mm. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I would agree with that as well. And I have a lot of friends that have got a university degree, which they've never used. And when you ask them about their experience, it was like, I just kind of went through the motions because I didn't know what I wanted to do. It took me three or four years to work it out. And it wasn't that. And people waste a lot of time sometimes doing Absolutely. That. And, you know, I've taught academically, undergrad and grad. And, and I, honestly, I tell people when they ask me about, like, what they should do and all that, I pretty quickly steer them. as like, you know, I'm not trying to turn you off of education. Same time, it's not what it used to be in terms of needing a degree. And so... Mm-hmm 
contemplate this, especially if you're going to go into debt and then hawk for the rest of your freaking life, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, are you sure you want to do that, right? So I'm really kind of big on anymore pushing people to go find something you like that you enjoy doing, a vocation. Just getting a degree doesn't do it anymore. Mm. You know, it doesn't. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely an important thing. It's an important element of our society. My son, he recently turned 18 and he left high school. And I think I was becoming the most annoying person in his life. And for any parents out there listening, <laughs> yeah, please don't right. do this to your kid. I was like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And every time I saw him, he's like, I don't know, dad. And I said, I'm going to keep asking you until you give me an right. answer. Because you need to make a decision. Go left, go right, go straight. I don't care. Just make a decision. You know, I, I want you to get to the point where you make one. And he made this yeah. decision to... He had this really influential mathematics teacher in the last year of school. And he said, Dad, I think I'm going to go and be a high school math teacher. And I was like, oh. (laughs) Now, that was a decision that I wasn't expecting. Right. (laughs) But, you know, that's – and I I think that's where the degree is highly important because in order for him to go and teach – high school math. He has to go to university. But but it's also a timing thing. I can tell you that I am so blessed to have two adult kids that are not kids anymore. But here's just a quick story. When my son was at the point of deciding what he's going to do in college, and I had jacked up their world through a couple of divorces, and it's a whole other story. But I was not in a good place to even be coaching and mentoring. But I told him, because I knew he was just kind of like me, and I'd led him through a life of too much drinking and that kind of different things like that. And I knew why he was going to college, because all of his buddies were, and he had no idea. And I said, dude, go drive a truck for two years. Go do something. And unfortunately, he didn't listen to me. And he went and spent a year and wasted money and just had a good time, but he had to literally start over after that first year because he had no, there was no purpose in mind other than just punching a ticket. So you got to know what you're doing. I guess it's really the key to that. Easier said than done. (laughs) But but, well said, well said, absolutely. Well, Doug, thank you for sharing that with us and letting us get to know you a little bit and give you a, a small, tiny little window into your world. People come on over to the go all in podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, you've got a lifetime of experience there. If you could share with us your biggest goal in story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success. Okay, but I'm, I'm going to pull something up here and, and surprise you with something here. When you and I contacted each other, I went and listened to a few podcasts. And one of the questions you asked people, somebody at this, one of the interviews was like, you said something about if you could go back and spend time in one point in time or something like that. And I thought that's an interesting question. And I had this perfect answer. So I'm going to tell you whether you asked me or not. And so I thought, you know, mom and dad drank cocktails their whole life. And so they led me down that path. And and for a period, it was a bad path. But now I'm like, but I'll still have a cocktail now and then, whatever. But it's like, right now, I thought to that question, I thought, you know, I got the perfect answer for that. I want to go back to when they were my age and sit there and have a cocktail with them and just kind of experience them at my age. Wouldn't that be cool? You could experience them at the same age you are now. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so sorry. I, I just had to throw that in. So what was your question? 
Look, I think of that question often. And one of the things that I always kind of have a little giggle to myself about is imagine if you could sit with your grandparents when they were 20, that would be really interesting, you know, just a couple of generations before because life was completely different in the early 1920s, 1930s type thing. Life was very, very different to what it is today. And I wonder if they were party animals. (laughs) Yeah, right. Who knows? It would maybe. be good. It, w- it would be a fun conversation, no doubt. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well, Doug, <laughs> maybe you can share with us your goal in story and what you've done to succeed in your life okay. and, and share a bit of that with us. So, and some of it I just gave you as a backdrop. So when I was leaving the military, and at that point, it was the only adult job I had ever known, other than college jobs and summer jobs and things like that. So it's, it was the world I knew. So when I was getting out, I was a major and I was an infantry guy. So like, I didn't figure there's going to be a big market for for on resumes, you know, throwing, throwing hand grenades and shooting machine guns. So I was purely selling a skill set that I had come to know, and that was leadership and management. And I was getting basically back from people saying, yeah, that's great, but what can you do? And I, you know, it's like, I didn't get what that question was about back. It was going to take a couple of years before I understood what that was all about. So I went into a state education job for a couple of years that I hated. And fortunately, I stumbled into a guy. I was umpiring baseball games out of the ballpark at night. This guy showed up and he was at a local university and he was looking for people to do management training. And I was like, sign me up. I'm, I'm in. And so for a couple of years, it was really a good experience because for a couple of years, I was understanding why that, what that question was about back there, that at least here, and I don't know how it is, how it is in your country, but here leadership is this thing that is just assumed. We don't train people. And I jokingly always say, and it's a sad thing, really, that's like, if you're the best welder, you get to be the leader of welders. And then I like to follow that up with say, so good luck, go screw them up, and then we'll keep doing that cycle again. And But it's like it's how it works. And I was experiencing that, you know, as I was working with supervisors and managers. And they were like, Booker, that's good stuff, but we don't really practice that. You know, who needs to be here is my boss. And, of course, they were right because their boss didn't know. So you understand the picture. It was during that period that I was in, man, I was like, I got to help leaders that are open to learning back to our learning thing right if and that's a tough sell i mean most people that hit management stop learning in reality because it's that job they always wanted and they get there now they think they're there and they have this picture of it as it's been modeled for them which in most cases wasn't a good model and so my passion in life to this day and that's what i've been doing for 25 years has been on some level, it's like if I hook up with a leader wherever they are, doesn't matter the industry. If I can help them be better at what they do, I got 10 less people in the world suffering by a bad manager, right? Because they're getting taken care of. And so that whole learning process, it's a lot of unlearning you have to do with people because they still think, you know, it's being the smartest person in the room. thing. And those of us that study leadership at all understand that it's way not that. I mean, I like to even push the envelope and say to people, it's like, you know, ignorance could be a good thing. Because if I can walk in here with pure leadership, 
and I don't know how y'all make pencils at pencil making factory. I can help. I can succeed with purely leadership because my job is to get you trained and, and developed and all those kind of things. So that's really my deal. And so I, after a couple of years of doing just kind of canned programs with this university where they would go out and find companies and bring me in to do it. I just start doing my own thing. So I connect with leaders wherever they are that have a passion for, man, I'm struggling, you know, or they just get what we just talked about. And if they do, it's like, I'm in. And if they tell me, man, I could use some help, but I don't really have much of a budget, you know, I'm probably going to help them anyway. I tell people that all the time. It's like, Dude, I'm not going to turn you down. If you want to grow and help yourself, I want to help you, and I will. Which is why I've never made a ton of money in my life, because I've had a wrong attitude. A lot of people say, you can't you can't do stuff that way. But it's worked for me for 25 years. I've survived, and, and it's been good. Doug, when you transitioned from the military into that job and then discovered that, what year was it? Was it the early 1990s when that was happening? Yes, absolutely. So the military at that point was, I didn't even realize this till afterwards, really. I was really unaware. And most people don't know this, but it was 1992 was the year I was getting out. There was a five-year period in there where the government here was downsizing the military. And I, again, I did not realize this till later that they downsized the military by more than half. I mean, the whole military of the United States. And so fortunately, because they had done things badly when they went through that process in Vietnam, where they just threw people out on the streets, they did a very fair deal where they were offering buyout programs and such. So yeah, that was the period of time. And again, it was a decent deal. And my kids, like I said earlier, my or junior high point. I never wanted them to have to move around during their high school years, at least. Mm. And so it's kind of perfect timing. And so everything was set perfectly until I kept jacking things up personally with things. And that's our life. <laughs> that, that's, that's part of life. The reason, the reason I ask around the timeline there is that these days with internet and LinkedIn and the way business is, there's, Coaching and training and leadership training is kind of the norm. But way back when in the, in the early 1990s, coaching programs and leadership programs and anything like that didn't really exist. So for you to go from university into your own job, that must have been a massive like go-all-in commitment for yourself. To, and then you've got to try and work out how to sell something because you, you knock on the doors of these right. organizations going, and they're like, leader what? Leadership? Yeah, yeah, yeah we've got yeah. leadership. There's a boss here. What do you, it must have been really hard back in the day to sell it. Uh, and it really is to this day. I mean, again, to the manager that's getting enough widgets out the door, it's like, we're good. You know, so they don't, you know, it's like even if that, and what they cannot comprehend, many of them, is just that if I sit here as a, I'm a manager over maybe 12 people and I'm getting my job done providing the service or whatever, but at the same time, I may be doing that with only like a third of the team really on board that I'm tapping into that are involved. The others are in their cave. They're hating their job and all that kind of thing. That's not leadership. Those are your leadership challenges, right? Those other people. So, yeah. But interesting what you said. I'm getting ready to over the next year or so. I may pull this off in the next six months. I've really got this 
interesting idea, at least to me, in my mind, for kind of maybe might be my last leadership book. And, and one of the things that I've realized as I thought, of, and it ties in what you just said, is there, I just have come to realize that back in those days, there were some stud leadership guys starting up. The Coveys, the Maxwells, the Jim Collins, Peter Drucker, Tom Peters, and there was a number of people that were like, and they were the books I was reading at that time. And I've realized now I'm sitting here like, well, I didn't do things quite right here in terms of like, I didn't make as much money as they did. I'm not famous. like, But I was in an interesting period, like you just said, of growth that there wasn't much there in that sense. And there wasn't understanding of it yet, but they were laying the groundwork. And I was kind of at that same period of time. So it's kind of interesting that, and that's what I'm kind of thinking I'm going to do. And I'm not going to try to unpack that book with you, but it's like, I'm going to kind of make that point. It's like my pathway has been those gurus and the Simon Sinek guy that it's a big guy now in leadership that I love his stuff too. But just a quick side note along those lines too, is that I'm really kind of thinking of writing this kind of humorous story thing that might be called nuggets, frankly. I'm really aggravated about the leadership development world because it seems to me that what people do is they spend money on memberships and subscriptions or seminars or workshops, and all they're doing is going in there and hoping the speaker will just sprinkle some nuggets on them, mm. and that'll be success, and they'll be a better leader, and it's so much more than that than just a few things. So I went way past what you asked but anyway no, no, <laughs> I, I don't know if i asked no, you, the- <laughs> you know, i like the rabbit hole that you're going down you know, and it, it kind of, there's two questions that i kind of want to follow up with you there is back in the day in the army prepares you beautifully for what you do now because they gave you incredible leadership training i was lucky enough to be in two services i was in the navy and in the army so i got oh wow yeah, so two completely different versions of it. I never joined the Air Force. Everybody told me that I'd be maybe <laughs> bored with that. And by the time that my time in the Army came up, I'd kind of done everything I wanted to do in the military anyway. So joining the Air Force didn't really appeal uh-huh. to me all that much. So, But what I my kind of recollection and, you know, when people say to me, oh, you must be so disciplined and you do this and you're in the infantry and you do that. And you, it's kind of like about the most discipline that I got is I can iron my clothes really, really right. well. And I can turn up on time so I don't get my ass kicked. Right. That's what discipline equates to in the military, yeah, right? Absolutely. And, but one of the things that when I look back at it, you know, all the tongue-in-cheek jokes aside is that the army prepares you really, really well for what you do now. And I think that the skills that I acquired while I was there in the Australian Defence Force are incredible. And I'm a huge advocate of the ADF, you know, I guess the best recruiting tool out there is the people that have had a good experience of it that can share that experience. And I do that often. And I like to tell other people's stories, other veteran stories and kind of reminisce about back in the day and what that was like. And that's because I had a a great experience. And if I had a crappy experience, I would share that as well. And I have shared the crappy times a couple of times on this podcast, but what they don't do and they do really poorly that, so they get you ready for life really well, but they don't help you to transition. When you transitioned out, was that difficult for you? You know, it was and it wasn't. And I think it wasn't so much because of what I went through, because I was in a position where I was learning from these all these people and key players how it, the real world really was. And I think that's, to your point, it's a great point, 
And I think you're right that there are a ton of people that, and I run into them all the time, that have hit the corporate world and they're frustrated and they just totally don't get the fact that we came through a foundational kind of a thing where everybody around you doesn't mean we're all great and better and that there's even greater leadership there than anywhere else. It's just that we had a chance. It's like I jokingly tell people all the time. It's like, it's like I look at these guys that were just thrown in this job and say, you know, before I was ever given a soldier, an employee, right? I was a second lieutenant. And honestly, I, I sucked, really. As, as, and that's what is that? That's a frontline supervisor, right? But I had a prayer. I made a good four years of pure leadership stuff to use. Everybody else is just sitting there just trying to lead by their industry knowledge, right? I mean, and whatever else they might have, but absolutely that. And again, I think to your question, I was fortunate, you know, if I had landed like I was after some corporate job, I might've been one of those people that was like, wow, this is terrible. There's no discipline. There's no chain of command. There's you know, all those things that we just take for granted. And that's what people that get out and land in those organizations don't realize is that everybody in, if you're in the military, everybody went through the same thing. So, you know, even if you don't do it well or don't practice it well, you still know that the expectations and accountabilities are, this is how it works. And that's the expectation. You can violate something, but you're going to be called on it and you're going to be expected to get called on it. And, Another thing I would just toss in what you said that I always say when I start off with like a leader or a group of leaders is like, as I go down this military path, I quickly tell them, it's like, listen, the military is as jacked up as any organization, okay? But there's a couple of things they do really smart. You know, before they give them employees, they give their leaders leadership. But the other thing they do is what they do before they hire Joe Blow, the employee. They give them team training. You know that as boot camp. Mm -hmm. The reality is that's what that's about, is not assuming that they walk in the door with those team skills, and so they develop those things with them first. So, And again, it's one of those things, especially these days where people, so many people, at least over here in the United States, are coming from dysfunctional family, because family's so broken now. And so you can't count at all on somebody walking your door and understanding relationships and team concepts. And they didn't sit around the dinner table with dad who was a good leader. And, you know, they grew up in dysfunction. So that's all they know. And that's who you're leading now. And if you don't give me some leadership tools and that's who I'm leading, this is not going to go well. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Doug, for the people that are listening, for when you're having this conversation with me, it's really easy for me to understand because I kind of I get it right because mm. I lived it. But for the people that are listening that haven't been in the military, maybe you can give it a little bit of context as, a, as an infantry second lieutenant in an infantry battalion. You're in charge of, what, 25, a platoon? Are you in charge of a section? How many yeah, people so, are you in charge of? So, you know, just as it sort of moves up, I mean, the first line of supervision, and again, it's very structured in the military, you're taking over a platoon, and that's 40 people, and that's three squad leaders, right? Which, in, in civilian terms, that would just be like a manager and three supervisors, right? 
And that's what you're walking into from day one is that kind of scenario. And, and as it goes up, I mean, as you get into captain rank, you may now be over two or 300 people. And again, it's one of those challenges for organizations that don't get the concepts of chain of command, structure and all that. Things have evolved in this organization where there's no clear cut chain of command. It's organic. It's absolutely. And the funniest, the funny story, I was just talking to somebody about this up the other day. It hadn't come up for a while. And I heard this guy telling me, he said, we have what we call a matrix organization. And I, I joke you, consultants have done amazing things through the years. And so this is 15 years ago, maybe a decade, I don't know. But somebody came up with this concept of matrix, which to me is just a way to call your organization this confusing, doesn't make sense thing. We'll give it a name, and then that makes sense. Label <laughs> it. <So, laughs> yeah, I think most people can recognize that comment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> One really interesting thing for me, you know, as you draw parallels from military to civilian organizations, is the military has a really grassroots approach to it. You know, people that want to be in the military generally, as it's a generalization, they, they already know that they want to join. I already knew that I wanted to be in the military when I was a kid. You know, it wasn't, I didn't turn 17 or 18 years old and go, oh, I'm going to join the Navy. I, it was long before then I knew. So it was a grassroots thing that happened. And I'm not saying that that's everybody, but there's a, a large percentage of people that do it. And the grassroots training that you get, as, as you kind of describe as a boot camp, or here in Australia, it's known as a recruit school. That's the grassroots. That's the foundation step that it goes through. And I was looking through uh, LinkedIn the other day at some of the contacts that I had, and I was just reading some people's profiles. And it was really interesting to me because all of these people out there pitching the fact that they're leadership coaches and they're coaches of leaders. Oh, and you, you look at their credentials, and I'm, I'm kind of scratching my head a little bit. Going, well, yeah. where did it all come from? Did you do a course about how to train a trainer type thing or – have you actually lived in that role before? And kind of it got me thinking about the grassroots that there's so many people out there claiming to be leadership experts, but they never really had a grassroots upbringing in that place. Maybe you could offer a comment on that because that trainer, trainer, coach, the coach thing seems to kind of strike a chord. With oh, you. yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And you're all over a, another challenge of this whole the industry. Yeah, industry and, and what's my passion is like in these years since Covey's and all those guys started this stuff, I mean, so many people have hung out their own shingle and said, I'm a leadership guru. Here's a 28-year-old dude, right, that taken off. And it's, and it's not a bad on him, whatever. It's so diluted. I mean, it's such, number one, it's such a tough sell anyway to mm. connect with a manager who gets this and is willing to commit resources and time and his time and his people time to develop us. But yeah, there, there's so much of that out there and it's just getting, we are inundated with it. I also, another area kind of like that I kind of consider myself as, but I hate putting labels on anything. So I don't, but I really consider because of especially my faith has become a huge thing in my last 20 years. since I call it grace found me somehow. Is like, you know, the life coaching thing is another one of those areas that's out there. And again, here's somebody 28 years old that's a life coach. It's like, really? How does that work? And, but, you know, and that's fine. But it's, it's again, it just, 
you know, it's like I've written books and I quickly realized that I'm not going to try to make money on books because there's so much out there. Mm. So mm. I literally give them away as a brochure more than anything. But absolutely. No, I mean, that's that's a huge problem, if you will, for this industry that I take a lot of passion for. It's like, I'll just give you a comment about something here that there's a show and I'm not bad mouthing the show, but I've never watched a day. And I got kids that watch it and it just aggravates me. But, you know, the TV show office, that's like this huge thing mm-hmm. and things like Dilbert and all these things that through the years have come about and the sarcastic look at management. And it's like, that's my business. It's like, I don't watch, I don't think that's funny. I think it's sad that we're so bad. It's not that I don't have a sense of humor. It's just that I can't go there. It's like, I take this really seriously. And I I take it, I'll tell you another piece of things I just wanted to mention to you is that over the recent years, I've really moved into a niche of, and I just make a point of this. I do leader development now. And that may sound like semantics, but it's not to me because, like I said, there's leadership development everywhere. There's nuggets going everywhere. I'm about growing you. And that's just, there's a difference there. And and I'm going to help you grow in where you are and help you down that path. And furthermore, my real sweet spot now that I'm going to is like, I call it leaders of leaders. So I want to connect with leaders that are have leaders under them and help them not only lead, learn it themselves, but to be able to teach, because that's how it becomes sustainable, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how they not keep hiring bookers and people like me to come in and do their thing. They ought to be doing that themselves, right? It's like organizations should be organically growing their own leadership. It was amazing to me just from the very start that I would have CEOs or presidents hire me, some knucklehead from the outside, come in to teach their people leadership. Mm. This does. <laughs> I'm sorry, I cut you off. I'm sorry. No, no, I was going to say sustainability <laughs> within organizations is where I believe it kind of ends up. You know, I love just the nature of what I've done for the last 10 or 12 years in digital marketing. I have people ask me all the time, where is it going, Rob? Where's digital marketing going to be in five years' time? And you go, oh, I don't know because the platforms <laughs> change so quickly and rapidly. And things yeah, absolutely. Change. There's two things that I do know is that's programmatic advertising and it's AI. And the, the sophistication of the AI algorithms are able to understand what it is that you want to see. So they show you ads and they market stuff to you that way. So that's kind of pretty clear cut where that's going. That's just got yeah. and it's in its early yeah. development. When I was looking, coming back to looking at other people's LinkedIn profiles, one of the really great things that I saw the other day, which I thought was such a great point, and you just made it as well, and I wanted to kind of reiterate that and amplify it, was the person was saying that they do leadership coaching and they do leadership training, but it's not really about leading teams of 30 or 40 or 50 people. It's about leading yourself. Because once you've got yourself squared away and you're aligned with where you need to go yourself and good yourself, all of the techniques and all the other things that I do to get these other 30 or 40 people that are under your remit, if you like, actually pretty semantic. It's, it's mechanical, it's semantic. But unless you've got yourself squared away and you're in touch with yourself like that, you can't get to the next level. And I sort of thought to myself, that's a really good little glimpse of the future there is that all of these so-called leadership coaches and these people that are in there, if they can kind of make that shift and help people to get that from internally leading themselves and 
developing, you know, if you're going back to your analogy of being the best welder, now you're the supervisor, now you're the manager, now you're the boss, now you've got your own business of welders, that's kind of the progression that people go through. But if you can get that right inside of yourself and that leadership development within yourself, then it becomes something that's relatively easy to translate to other people. Is that how you see it going? Is that the future of it where you see it? You know, it's interesting where I went with you when you first said that. It's like it's it's a niche of things that I've started really focusing. And I just started working with this. They're just one-on-one coachings with like six different guys. And and one of the first things I do, it's a, it's a six-month coaching process. But one of the first things I get into is what you just mentioned, the personal leadership. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But I'll tell you something that happened to me that like. This was like so eye-opening. I just think it's such a cool analogy that I was flying to, it was a leadership thing a couple of years ago. And we've all, you've flown, so you know about, you know, the flight attendant does that briefing. And the last thing they talk about is what? Do you remember? What's the last thing they talk about in the safety brief? Oxygen mask. Oxygen mask. Oh. Yeah, that's the and the last yeah. thing they say before they are done is they say, put your, and they tell you how to do that. The next thing they say before they hang up is like, if you are with somebody next to you, disabled kid or whatever, put yours on first. Mm. And I thought, wow. Because I deal with leaders all the time. They're in that crash mode of an organization. I, and that's just like I was dealing with a couple today. And they hit this meeting. It's like they're punching into this. It's like they're like, I could see they're just like red and they're stressed out. It's like. Dude, and I told him the story. I told both of them the story. I said, you need to hear this. You're of no good unless you're taking care of yourself first. Put your oxygen mask on first. That's just kind of a a mentality first. But then, as you just said, then the next step is to, again, grow yourself, grow your practices, grow your own discipline. And what are you modeling? It's like, and as I told him, I said, as you do this, Here's something I'm challenging you to do is every week, find an, an hour, two hours. I know that sounds like a lot. Shut your door. Tell people out there, say, I'm shutting my door. You know what? I'm working on me. Mm-hmm. And, and tell them the oxygen mask thing. Said every one of us needs to take care of ourselves first because we're of no use. And so we're in this rat race in organizations, right? And crazy. Managers have got to get that because if not, they're of no use to those people, however many people they got. Mm, yeah, that's beautifully said. I think we're, we're so unbelievably lucky to live in the time that we do where you can consume information at one and a half or two speed if you really want to via a YouTube <laughs> video. You know, a 15-minute YouTube video takes me seven minutes to watch because yeah. I can watch it at two speed. And my daughter's over my shoulder like, what are you doing? What is that noise? And it's like it's <laughs> two speed type thing. And it's like I can watch it because I can see their mouth moving and their body language and I can keep up with it. And likewise, yeah. with an audio book, I was listening to an audio book by a, name guy, a guy named Neville Goddard. And it's some pretty deep kind of stuff. And <laughs> I downloaded the book. I was listening to it and it was at one and a half speed. And it was just going in my brain so quickly I couldn't keep up with it. And I, I dialed it back to one speed and he was just talking at a normal pace. And I got it, you know. And it just kind of reminded me that you've got to take that time to learn it. And I wanted to, I wanted yeah. to a book that's become pretty close to my heart. And you've probably read it. Have you read this book before? It's called About No. Time. So Colonel David Hackworth, 
So About Face is the name of the book and the Odyssey of an American Warrior. And it talks about, from a grassroots perspective, all he ever wanted to do was to be a, a soldier. So he ran away and joined the Army post-World War II and he ended up in Korea. And the front half of the book is about his time in Korea. He did two tours and he got a, a battlefield commission why he was there. And for the people that are, are listening, you're aware of the Korean War, but you would also know that it's, it's also known as the Forgotten War. And right. you need everybody that's listening to this, please just maybe even just Google David Hackworth and have oh, a Oh, I will. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, just be reminded of, of the sacrifice that happened there because there was, that was brutal. It was oh. absolutely yeah. You think yeah. of, you think of modern warfare with joint direct attack right. weapons, bombs getting tossed at you from thirty miles away, and this book is about right. a guy fixing a bayonet and running up a frozen hill. That's right. It's old school. <laughs> yeah. The reason I bring it up is first of all to kind of acknowledge the Korean War and the veterans out there and the sacrifices, and that's something. That's been close to me because the unit that I was in at 3RAR, they were at a place called the Battle of Kapiong. And this was a big battle where the battalion held off a division. It was like less than a thousand people held off. It was something like three or four thousand people. And they cleaned up, kicked ass, all this really cool stuff. Anyway, I bring this book up is Dave gets this battlefield commission and he's been at war. He's been in the trenches, been doing what infantry guys do. And kind of cool. And he gets backloaded back to the States. He goes back home and they send him to officer training. And he's at, so he's been on the battlefield as a, <laughs> as a frontline soldier and then yeah. as a commander. And then he gets sent back to the United States to go to learn how to be an officer. And he's there right. with like, I think it's like half a dozen other guys that are also got battlefield commissions and they're just going through the motions. And he writes it in the book. And as you read his, the way that he writes, it's kind of, First of all, for me as an Aussie, it's like a bit like has an American flavor to it, but it also has an old school American flavor for it because he was in the army at the end, after the end of World War II, he was in Italy and Yugoslavia and these places and stuff. It's kind of cool, right? It's this Yeah, no, I, will, you know, like, I will definitely check it out. It sure. talks about NCO justice, you know, the, the people, right. you know, the corporal you know, and the sergeant giving you a, a touch up right. when you're late to work or whatever type right. thing. Right. I'll talk about that. It's kind of funny. But yeah. what he talks about, and, and this is what I wanted to raise with you, in leadership, people make the same mistakes and they seem to make the same mistakes over and over again. And David, in that book, he highlights, because the book's about leadership and it's about his army career, he, he highlights the somebody going out and doing the activity or the operation like this or on, they're on the exercise and they're doing the operation, the exercise like this. But in reality, he always comes back and leans on his experience of combat, both in Vietnam and in Korea. In reality, it's very different. And the people in training know that the reality is different, yet they still train people the same way that they have always trained them. But it's not going to serve them in combat. They're going to end up killed because that's the ultimate right. that happens in war. Right. Military, right? <laughs> to take the extreme death example out of it, organizations, and I've seen it a lot in some consulting that I've done and certainly in marketing, people seem to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. Why do you think they do that? What's a good answer to that? Why do they do it? It's probably a lack of accountability. It's probably a lack of expectations. And, you know, ultimately it comes back to that word, leadership and seriously it kind of is because leaders have to be I think the way you get past that is 
I got to ingrain in my people, those I lead. That, and it's why my first book was a book called Teaching Fishing. It's all about mastering the art of saying, what do you think? So before I hand out a fish, I say, what do you think? And I think it's that culture that you can create just with your own team and an organization can create that itself where you don't get caught up in that, where you're constantly listening to people, right? Their ideas, their craziness, there's, you know, I jokingly use that thing as an example when we bring in new people and here's the new guy shows up and we say, hey, come on in, we got a team meeting and and uh, let me introduce you everybody, we're doing a little team building here, it's like introduce everybody, it's like, okay, team building's over, so we're working on this thing and uh, so jump in here with any ideas and Joe Schmo says whatever and everybody's like, hey, dumbass, we tried that before and, you know, it's like, and so we just stay in this rut and to some degree it's because like we said earlier, it's like we're using, most managers are using 30% maybe of their workforce on their Mm -hmm. team and the ideas of them. The others know stuff but they long ago stopped trying, right, because nobody was hearing them. Because we're top-down management. We're telling people what to do, and this is how we do it, and this is the way we do it. That's the insanity. It's like we just keep doing the same way because guess what? All I got to do is get 400 widgets out the door today, and if I get that, guess what? It's not insanity. It's just that's productivity, and that's good. (laughs) I wanted to ask another David Hackworth military-style question, if I may. And for the people that are listening to this podcast, they're not all entrepreneurs. They're not all business owners. They're not all – you know, many, many people have got a job that listen to this podcast, and that's kind of cool. It's just normal life, right? And I wanted to ask a question on behalf of them and draw a a parallel that Dave does in his book there about facing. He talks about – as the Vietnam, as the Korean War ends, they, a little bit like what you experienced, they unpicked the military completely. And he ended up getting out because he had to go and get a, a degree. So he went to school and then he came back in the reserves. He was in the reserves for a long time. And so, and he never came back into the infantry. He went into a, a missile unit during the Cold War and yeah. he experienced all this Cold War stuff. A really interesting history of that from his perspective of somebody in the American military during those times. It's crazy how they had nuclear weapons on the battlefield at battalion level, but it had to go all the way up to the yeah, president in right. order to actually fire the thing, you know. The Soviet tanks right. are coming over the horizon, but it takes you two hours to get an approval to fire the battlefield nuke. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Really incredible stories that you probably never heard yeah. of before. One of the things that kind of that really stuck out to me was as the Vietnam War was beginning, and I think it was, I might need to be corrected by the listeners here. I have to look at the book again. I think it was 1964 that Americans started to send advisors there. And Dave is a Korean veteran. He's been in the military a long time since the late 1940s. He puts his hand up and says, hey, I've got lots of operational experience. I'm an infantry guy. Um, I can go to Vietnam and be an advisor and do that. And the response to him on several occasions when he asked was, no, you've got too much experience. And... (laughs) But you're dumbfounded by that response, right? And you know, right. Sitting there reading, what? I'm dumbfounded by the experience. So well, sometimes yeah. as an individual, doesn't matter where you are or what organization you're part of, or it might even be your own organization, sometimes you see leadership make the most ridiculous decisions that just make no sense whatsoever. And if you're not in a leadership position, my question to you, Doug, is how can somebody get it off their chest and say something to those leaders and say, hey, 
don't you think it makes more sense to do it this way? What sort of approach yeah. should somebody take? I mean, it doesn't well, have to be in the military. It could be in... No, 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 no. And I think I got an easy one for this. And, and although it could be tough, but I teach this with when I work with people. Two things. One is, despite your relationship with your boss, it could be one of the problems, right? And I take people through a process of a way of, what I call upwardly coaching, where, listen, don't sit here and let yourself not know where you stand. Just develop that. And there's ways of doing that. And it's one of the things that I really stress and hammer, which is probably one of the things people really seek me for is that dynamic, because that's most people's problem. I mean, for most people... That's their biggest leadership challenge is their own boss. Mm. And so, but there are ways of doing that and we don't have time, but there are ways of doing that, that I mechanically take them through a process to do that. But the other thing is that don't be sitting here, wherever you sit in that world of frustration, whatever, always be reaching out for finding mentors and it's just, I'm not, it's not some philosophical thing. My point is this, that wherever you might sit, go find, you admire some people out there that are up above you. Go reach out to them, stroke their egos like, you know what? I admire you. You're, you seem awesome. I'd like to learn from you. Can we sit down and, and develop a relationship where you can help grow me, blah, blah, blah. Who's going to say no to that, right? And that's where you can kind of get so Either one of those two pathways. Now, I got to tell you, I'm pretty much about transparency. So, and I know it's easier said than done because if you got to have a job, you got to have a job, and I get that. But you know, just start working that relationship with your boss so you can say that. I mean, it's, it's sad that people sit in that position, and I mean, it really is. And there's there's millions of them that sit out there and do that every day, and they're frustrated. They know good answers. But they, nobody will listen to them. So that's why they're in their cave. That's like they're no 70% that I mentioned earlier. They're the ones in the cave. We've driven them in by bad leadership. You know what? If you can't solve it in one of those two ways, and I don't know many other ways to do that, but if you can't, then guess what? You need to start finding some mentors outside the organization. And start, and which is another thing I just teach people to do regardless. You should be always adding quality people to your world, right? Because mm. you never know. I mean, organizations are brutal. Don't just sit there and let yourself be the next one that's tapped on the shoulder. Mm. And if that's where you are in your mindset, you're vulnerable. Because if that's where you are, you're not in the circle if you're out of the circle, right? So you need those people. You need those relationships. That word relationships is so key for me. And, you know, I'm trying to, I read these books that I read because I love the story, right? I love a good war story and I love a good autobiography and whatnot, but I also love the lessons that are in there as well. And one of the really great things about that scenario that he was in, it put me in a position to think about what would I do? And it's what you said, it's about relationships. And it's about having, if you're a leader, if you're in a leadership position, you need relationships down the chain as well as you do up the chain. Because I never personally, and I've been in leadership positions many times, I don't want to be in a position where I'm surrounded with yes men or yes women. Absolutely. 
right. we've all experienced it when your partner comes home from work, your husband or your wife or your missus or your boyfriend or whatever, they come home from work and they're like, oh my God, you can't believe what happened at work today. And they'll tell you about some leadership debacle, your eyes will roll back in your head and go, oh my yeah. God. And as a bloke, you'll try and solve their problem and do that. As a woman, they'll sit there and go, oh my God, he just does nothing but complain. And we've all experienced it. And I sort of yeah. believe what you said there with relationships, if you've got up the chain, if you've got great relationships with the people that are supervising and managing you, if they make a decision that seems a little bit off, then because you've got relationships, you're then able to much easier have a conversation with them about something that you think might be a mistake. And likewise, if you've got good relationships down the chain with people and they come up to you, you're more likely to be like, well, yeah, actually, yeah, that's actually a valid point. So relationships are so unbelievably key to that and you've got to play the game to make that happen absolutely and you know one of the things i tell people i'm working with this guy that's brand new in his company and one of the things i we're talking the relationship thing because i'm huge that's like you know i don't really get brought into a company to fix leadership i get brought in because they've jacked up relationships yeah. i mean seriously that's really on. what it comes down to mm. but when i talk to a newbie I'm just telling you, this is a great trust the coach tip. When you walk into a new organization, whether you're the leader or the follower, you know, while you are allowed some grace period to learn your job, which they're going to force you to learn your job, that's going to happen. But the one thing that's under your control is to develop a relationship during that time. I mean, seriously, it's like, it's like I was telling this guy today, and I'm big on this vertical and horizontal relationships that everybody, everybody's got a sphere of relationships. And that's, I was pulling this book out because my re- most recent book, and I'm not building, because I give them way more than I sell them. So I'm not trying to sell books, but it's called People Waste. And it's all about the waste that goes on in organizations because of bad relationships. And it's like, I was telling this guy, when you walk in there, you know that because you've been in a company before, you know there's people out there that deal with your department that thought the last guy was a knucklehead or has had problems with your department. Assume that, even if that's not the truth. Assume it. Go out, have a cup of coffee with people before you need them, right? Go develop that and say, listen, I'm new. I obviously am not guilty of anything here, but I know I need a relationship with you. And listen, they may roll their eyes. They may do whatever they do. You got to persist. You got to be intentional about that. You got to make it happen. You got to just keep committed because you know what? If I keep coming back to you, there's a message there and it means I care. You know, on some level, I care. And if you persist, so shame on, I tell people all the time after I take them through a thing, it's like, shame on you after I've taken through all these ways that you can upwardly coach and all this. If you ever sit in an organization again, like so many people do, and not know where you stand which is so many people because we're so bad about feedback and that kind of thing. So, yeah, relationships, what it's all about. I mean, in, in life in general, right? I mean, it's personal, it's professional. It's like that's the most important thing. And we know that. We learn that over time. It's hard for a young person to get that because they just haven't experienced enough yet, right? But yet they can be a life coach. <laughs> you know, if I could bring it back to an infantry one for you is yeah. that one of the common misconceptions that people have all the time is that in the military, and again, a generalization, I think people 
think of military because they relate to the movies and TV as infantry. Right. They think that when the boss gives the orders that the soldiers are like, yeah, boss, all right, we'll go and do that. But the reality is more times, I don't know what it's like in the US Army. I've never been there. But in the Australian Army, it's like, nah, boss, we're not doing that. And yeah, right. the boss is open to feedback. Okay, well, if you've yeah. got a better way to do it, show me what yeah. you think's a better way. Maybe you've got more experience, you know, something I don't know. And ultimately they make the decision, of course, but you know, it's a really good way of doing that. But you can't do that with your boss, especially in the military when they give orders to you and you must follow those orders unless you've got good relationships with them. I wanted to highlight a, another military story that people may or may not know. And I'll post the link to this doco that I watched recently. It's really cool. It's a Four Corners documentary on, that was here in Australia. It was about Iran and all the bad things that are so-called happening with Iran. But not a lot of people know that after 9-11, the Americans were talking to the Iranians because the Al-Qaeda are the enemy of Iran, the same way as ISIS were the enemy of Iran. And when 9-11 happened, it was a good opportunity for Iran to head over into Afghanistan and get rid of the Taliban who are threatening on their border. And the Iranians had put everything aside and were like, all right, let's partner up, let bygones be bygones. And they'd worked with some American ambassadors and there's really good doco of the interviews of the commanders and the American ambassadors and how it all came together. And you think, man, imagine if the Americans did partner up with the Iranians and they did go and kick ass in Afghanistan and get rid of the Taliban, got rid of Al-Qaeda and did all of that. It would be a different world order that we would be facing today. And that was just 10 years ago. And they'd locked in the deal. And not many people know this is why I wanted to tell the story because it's yeah. really cool. And I'll post the link to it in this thing. Not many people know it that they did the deal with the Iranians. It was good to go. And then George Bush went out and said, countries like, Iran, North Korea, they constitute an access of evil. And it's like, oh, my God, you ruined the whole deal, man. It went off the right. table. Right, right, absolutely. You've got to have a good relationship with the president to get him to change his mind. He was never changing his mind. So it's one of those times, right? Yeah, no, you're right. And it's like you and I both, I can tell, understand this concept that it doesn't matter what level we're talking about. It's all about relationship. Mm. <laughs> It is. I mean, it's a funny thing. I'll tell you the story that I, I use this a lot, that in my first decade of doing this, I would walk into an organization and to this day, this is still what I hear. It's like, if you could just help us communicate. And so for that first number of years, I was all into skill training and stuff. And it's like, I was trying to figure out whether it was an email thing, a bulletin board or whatever. Right. And it's like, no, what it comes down to is what they're really saying is you don't really have a communication issue. You've got a relationship issue. Yeah. I mean, just think about that. That's like so real because if you and I love each other, you and I like each other, communication's simple. I could be bad at it. You could be bad at it. But guess what? We like each other, so we're going to do it. We'll communicate. So it, it's almost always not really a communication thing. It's a relationship thing. Now, it could be also a functional relationship thing that the organization's jacked up by making us a matrix organization. So there's a relationship <laughs> dynamic there, too. But again, it's back to the word. It's relationship. It's not about communications, right? I mean, communication, sending and receiving, that's really pretty easy. The relationship impact, if I, you and I are family members and, and I aggravate you, but, you know, we're always going to keep coming back to the table and keep communicating. 
until it goes bad. But again, now that's the point. The relationship's bad. So guess what? Communication's going to be bad. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Doug, it's been a, an absolute pleasure having you on the Goal In podcast. I think we could go for hours talking about oh, subjects like that. And, and I think for the listeners here listening to a podcast about leadership and, and learning, uh, hopefully they've taken away that the key point in all of that is building on relationships back up and down the chain of where you are in relation to where you are as well. I can't let you go, mate, without putting you in the go all in hot seat. All right. A couple of quick rapid fire questions that a lot of podcasters do that I borrowed the idea from them. <laughs> okay. Random. It's in no particular order. There's a little dig at you there on the front end for being American, but I'm, you know, I'm an okay. Aussie on the side. My <laughs> podcast, I can dig all I want. You're fair game. And the last one's pretty philosophical. You ready for the first question, mate? Here we go. I'm ready. Airborne or leg? What'd you say? Airborne or leg? Leg. Sorry, mate. I got to say, I have to ask because I never told you. That's what I mean. I was always, I was always a light infantry guy, and to be brutally honest with you, it's like you know, every I went to airborne training, and I'm just gonna be honest with you. It's like every time I jumped out of that plane, I was scared. So it's like if I never jumped again, which I never had to, thank God. It was too and soon. It's like I would have done it like I did there, but it's like, you know, so I'm cool just being on the ground. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. For the people that don't know what a leg is, that's what a leg is. You're on the ground. That's what it is. All right. Something a little bit fun, mate. Where's the world's best holiday location for you? Obviously, you can go lots of different directions with that, but probably the thing where I find the most peace and where I'd go if I was just like, if I had the resources, whatever, I would find somewhere pretty high up on a mountaintop that was in a place away from everything. Now, I love people like crazy, but it's like I love my peace. But it's like the majesty and everything of a mountains is just pretty unreal. Do so you get out, to, get out to like Colorado or anywhere like that? Yeah, yeah. And we have a – my wife, and I've been through a couple of divorces, my wife of 12 years now, and we're in for good. But her youngest son is in Colorado, so we're going back out this fall. I can't wait. I always go in the fall or spring when winter's kind of just before, just after winter time. But that's where I go. It's like I love it up there, hiking around and driving around, whatever. So, Very nice. Yeah, it's definitely on on my list of things to do as I've traveled around the world. Have you ever been to Australia? We, we have no it. we have no mountains. It's like yeah. a lake, yeah. It's like well, there's none around where I am either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when I see mountains, it's like I've been to New Zealand a couple of times and, you know, the Lord of the Rings type scenery in the country, it's like, oh, my gosh. And I see in Canada and in Colorado and all of those places, I love the outdoors. You know, I'm an Aussie. All Aussies yeah. love the outdoors. And, yeah, you know, I just want to get amongst that as well. It's definitely on the bucket now, list. I just – I want to come over there because I just have always had that. I mean, I could have answered that question that way. I'd love to come there. Just I have this image that would be this wonderful place, but just as much as anything, I just like to hear people talk like you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Americans love the Aussie accent, right? (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, you keep using mate, and I'm like – I think I got to adopt that, but I don't know if it'd work or not. (laughs) I love that. Nice one. All right, uh, here's a serious podcasting question for you, mate. What's the skill that you're working on at the moment right now in this part of your life that you haven't quite mastered yet? And I can kind of easily answer that. You know, I, I kind of, there's a lot of things out there if you get to this point where you're starting to search a little bit. So 
you know, I've been doing what I do, and I really hope I can keep doing what I do for another decade or so. It's going to be so a lot more virtual phone, Skype, and Zoom or whatever. But I'm also, you know, my faith is huge to me, and I'm really, you know, I'd say it's God, it's serving people, and it's leadership are kind of would be my kind of things. And so finding a new purpose where I can just serve Him and serve people, and I mean that's my constant sort of thinking and pursuit right now is while I'm doing this, which again, I love and it fits everything because it's like everything I like because it's all about learning and leadership and relationships. And I love adding new people just like you. I mean, you and I are going to talk again, man. I I hope anyway, but it's like, that's my thing is like the next half of life, if you will, you know, I have no interest in the retirement concept. I want to keep on going. My health is good. And so I want to keep on I don't know what it looks like, but I got to find some way that I can help people. I've had periods in my time that's the best, just for your listeners, that's the best times in your life is when you're helping others, when you're focused on others. The worst time in your life is when you're focused here, Hmm. inward. (laughs) And so that's where I want to be. And so that's not a specific thing, but that's what I'm trying to figure out right now. It's like, what's that look like? So. Beautifully said, beautifully said. So, you know, articulating how you can help more people is a something that I think we should all spend some time mastering. I got this yeah. podcast to do that, actually, because I get to yeah. amplify your message and share that with the world. And that feels really Absolutely. good to me to be able to do that. Someone asked me the other day, why do you, why do, you do that, Rob? Why do you, why do, you do that? It's like, man, I feel so good to share somebody else's message. I have no idea. And, and you must love this. I mean, oh, yeah. this has got to be amazing just to meet. All, Can you tell? I, mean, literally, <laughs> I tell people this all the time. Keep adding quality people to your world. That's what I'm constantly trying. I reach out to people all the time. It's like, what do you want? I said, I don't want anything. You just kind of look like a quality person. I'd like to have a cup of coffee. It's like, you know what? That's the best part of life. And that's what you're doing here. It's like, you're meeting so many cool people doing this. I would love to do what you're doing. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Doug, last question for the pop quiz in the hot seat, mate. That's what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received. Well, I would probably say it's a quote from the first book guru guy I ever read was John Maxwell. And his first book, I think it was the first book, he was called Developing the Leader Within, I think is what it was called. But it's worth, for the first time, a lot of people take credit for this quote. But it's, people don't care how much you know until first they know how much you care. And, and I say that because if you think about this, lead, it's why it's, it's on my card, it's on everything I do, because it's so relevant to what I'm trying to do with leaders. Because where I try to take them is to realize, you know what, you got here for what you know guess what? That crap won't work anymore. You know, nobody cares unless you care about me first. So is that business? Absolutely. That's business knowledge 101. It's like, if you get that one, you can get that in your head and use that, practice that, you're going to be in, man. Walk around, seek first to understand, right? I mean, it's like, it's all that kind of thing. So that's my answer for that one. <laughs> Beautifully said. Beautifully said and great advice. And, and it's great. You know, I get to share a lot of people listening to this podcast. I get so much feedback of people wanting to make a transition out of work into their own business and to do those things. And I ask that question and close out the podcast with that question all the time, because if that's the last thing that you remember, because it's the last thing you heard from this show, then 
that sticks with you, then maybe that can help you transition and make that transition. Absolutely. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show here for an hour or so. If people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, my website is, you know, bookertraining.com. You know, again, you can email me, phone number 913-232-0244. I don't know what that means in Australia, but anyway, that's what it is over here. In the U.S., plenty of American listeners. Yeah. You, you find the website, bookertraining.com, and you can find me. And I'm on all kinds of social media stuff and all that, so I'm out there. All right, excellent. And if you're listening to this podcast on your phone, just peek at the show notes and you will find all of the links that we could just describe there, right there in the show notes. So you don't have to go digging around in Google. And if you're watching this video on Facebook or YouTube, just scroll down and right there in the show notes there, that's where the links are. So make sure you reach out, connect. I'll pop in your LinkedIn address there as well. Is that okay if I do that? Absolutely. Let me say this to you too. I tell people this all the time. I've got several books and I mean this sincerely. If somebody reaches out to me, they see a book they'd like, and they send me a note, I'll be happy to shoot them an ebook for free. That's cool. I'd, I'd love to share them. So if, I, if they're interested, tell them just holler. Very nice. And I'll make sure there's a link to your Amazon store there as well. Doug, before we close it out today, have you got any parting comments for me, mate? Parting comment. Keep adding quality people to your world, my friend. That's it. <laughs> I love it. Thanks for coming on, mate. We look forward to speaking with you soon. It's bye for now. I look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Well, there you have it, folks. Please connect with Doug. Just take a peek at your phone and all of the links to his social media and his website are right there in the show notes. And if you're watching this video on YouTube or Facebook, just scroll down and you'll see the links right there in the show notes as well. Get inside his ecosystem and connect with him. He's got amazing content and he's incredibly well connected as well. So I'm certain that he'll be able to connect you to some people that will be interesting for your ecosystem as well. Okay, if you've got a question or a comment for the show, you can reach out via the Go All In socials at any time. And if you want to send me an email, just visit goallin.com.au for more information right there. If you like what you heard today on today's show, please take a minute or two to leave me a review as that helps out a whole boatload as well. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. So whatever it is that you're working on, whatever you're doing, get busy, get to it and go all in. I'll see you next time. We ever feel we gotta keep it in the flow And we gotta let each other know It's been a while we've realized That we're about to compromise What we keep between us in the flow Situation, a higher elevation.